Welcome back to Alive and Kicking in what is probably the first of a series that might not last very long. We'll see. We're starting something new. We've done this week in the 90s. Um, welcome to, I think we're calling it 90s Natter Unplanned. Well, that's the working title anyway. It may change at some point. Um, basically a show that's unplanned. We'll get to it, what we're talking about in a minute. Um, before I do though, oh it's been too long since I spoke to these two lovely, lovely people. Firstly, he's fresh off eating an Easter egg for lunch because he's a grown-up. He's a social media mogul for many plethora of outlets. Mr. Joe Young. Oh, that's good. I liked how you did that there. That was wonderful. Thank you. That makes me feel wanted. Oh, there you go. Uh, I'm good, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've eaten so many Easter eggs. Because like, every time I go into Sainsbury's, they're only £1.25. So I'll just... Because I, I find that Cadbury's Easter egg chocolate is better than sort of regular Cadbury's chocolate, which I know is ridiculous. Cause no, the same I think thing. you're right. I think you're right. Because I'm not Maybe a big... it's chocolate person maybe it's the density of the chocolate maybe it's because it's thinner yeah, yeah. That's, that's what i think it is but then i end up eating a whole uh whole flipping easter egg so i've, I've had lots so i've just had a mini eggs easter egg so that was nice so nice. i'll be nice. very sugary and rang, 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 but it'll be fine yeah as a kid i never really liked easter eggs so people used to buy me cheese instead because i'm a big cheese fiend so cheese, cheese. what's your favorite cheese i'm very uh, boring i like i'm just i'm I, a basic mature cheddar is fine with me so, I mean, like, yeah, I'm, I'm all for, you know, I do like a bit of brie as well. But if you're going to push me, I'm, I'm quite basic with my cheddar. So, so yeah. I do these, I do these potatoes, right? These are nice, these are nice little recipe for everybody. I oh, think this on. is the first. Check, just check the potatoes in the oven, bang, get them out after an hour, chop them in half, scoop out the potatoes, mix in a tablespoon of Philadelphia nice. cream, cream cheese and chives, mix it in, mash it up, stick it back in the uh, potato skins. Then add on top a little sprinkling of leeks and a little sprinkling of mature cheddar back in the oven for 15 minutes. Oh, very yeah, nice that's indeed. completely up my street. Cheese and potato. I'm, yeah, I may even, yeah. Yeah, even write that down and take it right, on board. I'll send you the recipe from my Delia Smith cookbook. There you go, the first one I'll have kicked off. So I told you this was new, now we're doing recipes as well. I wonder if this, <laughs> or if our other compadre's got a recipe for us, probably for pear cider, but when he's hanging when he's not doing live kicking he's hanging out with ex premier league footballers we'll get to that in a minute he's a writer for many outlets mr matthew christ how are you doing has uh, ainsley harriet finished yet yeah, i think he has <laughs> <laughs> yeah how are you it's good to be back it's good to be how back how long's it been now it's been, it's been a, about a month, month or so yeah, yeah. well we'll just it's like coming like coming back after the school holidays yeah. I, I was half expecting joel to um stand up in front of the group and tell everybody what he'd been doing for the for the school holidays, it's probably best that he doesn't. Mate. And I say that. No. that. We'll say that for our late night ones too. Yeah. <laughs> we had. Well, it, it's kind of been and kind of been forced break because I've, I've, I'm not going to bore people with my house renovation stories. But it's been hell. We've had a couple of bad weeks. Um, but it was a quite a nice way to do it because we'd finished this week in the nineties. Uh, me and Joel did a final kind of um, full length show where we did talked about match of the day, which was really good. It seemed to go down very well as well. Thank you uh, for. Uh, being on that and what we talked about on that um, lots of middles were talked but it was very much fun looking back at match of the day um, but we thought we'd start something new and we would, we've been tossing a few ideas around we but and this seems to be the one we're going to start with I mean there's some other things we are going to do players which I think I feel like I've been saying ever since episode one which we'll do at some point um, but Matt, I think Matthew this was kind of your idea wasn't it where we kind of well it was, it was a bit like um, this week in yeah, the yeah you're kind of the brains idea as well. yeah you're the brains behind this operation really yeah. Um, but yeah. wait, what, only because it kind of spurred on what we do anyway. We had this week in the nineties, but generally what we do, and we'll get to this in a minute, is chat kind of nonsense for an hour or so, and centered sometimes around the nineties, a lot of time around the eighties. Um, so we thought we'd take that on board. And what we've done, we've both, all three of us, come with a couple of subjects, whether they be a question, a talking point, a debating point, or even just a, something they want to get off their chest, which is usually Joe. What's hold on, hold on. 
What's that clicking? Has somebody got castanets? I can't hear any clicking. I oh, thought right. someone was taking some notes. Oh, okay. In the yeah. background, oh. taking minutes. I stop now anyway. Um, it oh, could, well. I've got workmen in, so I'm, I'm in the quietest place of the house. So that if there is some background noise, it may be them doing what they're doing. I've got a it's, you know what it reminds me of? Do you remember in the, the, the old days of Grandstand? In the background, there'd be like a panel of typewriters. Typists. Yeah, doing the video print away in the background. Yeah, maybe do, you know that, do you know that on World of Sport when they did that, it, the, the women weren't actually doing anything to do with sport on there. They were just paid extra to go in on a Saturday afternoon to do their regular work, but do it there so it looked like it was a hub of activity. I like that. I miss that. I miss that kind of background. It's not too sleek. And but it, it could be, it could still happen today because if you, ever, you know, when you watch um, Sky News or is it even Sky Sports News, there's always a bank of people in the background on, on monitors. Yeah. It's very, very small, think... that bit. I've been yeah. to Sky Sports News Studios and it's, and it's much smaller, that bit, than you ever will. I suppose this goes with most TV shows, doesn't it, Joel? That the Every actual, television show yeah, is smaller so than you think small, it is. Yeah, yeah. And, and so maybe they can't do it. Maybe the background can't incorporate because of that bit of the studio. It may be different now where they've done that. They've got a slightly bigger shot now, haven't they? Sky Sports News with the bigger screens and stuff. So they may be, it may be different now, but yeah, I do like that. Do you think they've got people paid to sit there and not do yeah, anything and just look so. on it? Yeah. yeah. I hope so. Yeah, yeah that'd be good. Yeah, that'd be good. Um, what was I talking about? What we're doing? Oh yeah, so we're, both, we're all taking sort of some, a couple of points, hopefully all to his 90s football, and we're just going to chat through them. Um, but I wanted to pick up on something, and I bet Matthew's forgot about this. The, the last time we were all together for, for that was this week in the 90s, Joel, you set out a question, you might remember this, and I've only just realised it as we were talking, which isn't football related, but is 90s related, your game show question. Yeah, I've <laughs> got mine. You've got yours. Matthew, have you, have you got yours? Yeah, well, I've got an extra one now because I've just reminded myself of one that's controversial, but I've, I've got five, possibly six. Okay, well, Joe, it seems your question. You can either go first or choose who goes first. Go on. I'll, I'll, well, just my five, very go quickly. On, yeah. Obviously, who wants to be a millionaire? Yeah, obviously. Which started, I think, in 1998, and I was at university when that started, and, and that was the only thing that made us all stop. We all would crowd into one room or into the common room to watch it. Stop what? Millionaire. Drinking? <laughs> well, I think we used to drink while we watched it, but yeah, as well. Um, there must be a drinking game attached to that somehow. So, what? Who wants to be a yeah, millionaire? Some you yeah, yeah there's, there's something going on there. Uh, Dale's Supermarket Suite. Obviously, I'm putting, yeah. Obviously. I'm putting in just because. Plus, Dale Winton, obviously, he's in a couple of sleeper videos and he turns up in train spotting. Yeah, so RIP Dale Winton. Yeah. Um, hope to find particularly um i'm sneaking in you might not like this but i'm putting shooting stars in oh he's in mine so yeah of course Vic and bob yeah. we're having that uh and then raise the roof you remember this with bob holness oh god raise the roof it was it was the third it was at the time it was the short giveaway the most expensive prize in history they were giving away a house and it went out on a saturday night it wasn't very good did that have something like <laughs> bob's bungalow on it or something if i is that something deep into my Let's mind have a, uh, they gave away the, the, the Bob's Bungalow. Uh, there we yeah. go. The lowest scoring player in each round also received Bob's Bungalow, a cottage ship. Oh, see, I don't know where that came from. Good old Bob. So there you go. What, wrong what, with era, what era are we talking about here? Because that one completely passed me by. Raise the roof. That was... Yeah. Uh, 95 to 96. 1995, 1996. There was only oh, one thing. There you go. There you go. Was that that falls into my wilderness. I don't know whether... Have we ever mentioned chain letters hey shush that's on my list <laughs> well that's the I first one on, on my list right well i was on chain letters was you? <laughs> maybe maybe that's why it's subliminally on my list it's on know. you it's on youtube i'll send you the link it's horrible i'm 17 years old 
It's completely embarrassing. Uh, I'm about six stone. Who was wet. hosting it then? Was it Andrew? It was. It was Ted Robbins doing it when I was. Ah. When I was on it. Well, the original host was. Was it Andrew? Andrew O'Connor did it. Andrew O'Connor did it. And then um, Ted Robbins did it. Yeah. And then Dim Spikey did it after him. Yeah, but all those shows they brought back in a kind of ironic way, didn't they? And I never liked that. I think you've got to stick to your Not original exactly, format. Yeah. How many are you on now, Joe? That's that's my five. That's your five. Okay. Oh, he's trumped me. Go on then, Matthew. Go on. Well, well, I was going to say Shane Letters. Obviously, for that, I don't know why it pops into my head, but it, we must have spoken about it before. So, Shane uh, Letters, win, lose, or draw. Oh, I've got oh, that one. Yeah, I've got that one. Which oh. is a bit of a nineties double whammy because he's yeah. got Danny Baker in it, which is you know where he was sort of Mister Nineties Football at the time. But and, and or Bob Mills, because Bob Mills do that later. Bob on? Mills did it. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah, I think he came and. Maybe followed on from Danny Baker, but that it was a sort of a mid-morning yes. show, wasn't it? Yes, it was sort of about ten o'clock in the morning. Yeah. After we do one at half this... past nine, and one at um, and then it was on later on at about half past three, I think. Like, give us a clue, was basically it was like that yeah. spot, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was a great, great game. I, I thought it was. A, I'm surprised it hasn't been brought back. Yeah. But, basically, um... Pictionary. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. Yeah, it, it, people sat on bean bags and 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 uh, yeah. Great. No, no, Two celebrities, no, no. Two celebrities and one punter, wasn't yeah. it, on the team? Yeah. Yeah. Um, full swing. Do you remember this one? Oh, that was Jimmy, no, that was, uh, that was Jimmy Tarbuck's version of Big Break, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Kenny, Kenny Lynch as well. My old Kenny mate, Lynch Kenny Lynch, who Lynch I drove his car, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, that was, what, very much mid-90s, wasn't it? 95, 6, something like yeah. that. So I remember that being on before I'd go out drinking, so it must have been about 95, 96, because... I wouldn't have started. Yeah, well, yeah, I probably would have done. But um, where are we? Uh, full swing. You bet. Oh yeah, oh, obviously. Yes, Matthew Kelly. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, Bruce Forsyth originally. Darren Day did it as well. Oh, yeah. so you're remembering with, all the the contemporary versions, but it was Darren Day def- did it with uh, with Di Udell with Jet. Oh, that's they bad. Got um, rash. Yeah. So, what did Jenny Powell do with? Was it Jenny Powell with? With um, Matthew Kelly, if I remember, was it? I can't. I, I, no, she was on. She was on uh, that one with Nikki Campbell, wasn't she? The, uh, oh, yeah, she was well, on Wheel of Fortune. Wheel of Fortune. But um, yeah, originally, you bet it must have been. It must have been 80, about eighty nine, ninety. I think it started with Brucey. Yeah, the Brucey rap, and uh, I mean, it was a it was a great game show because it had some real full on stunts. Do you remember? Yeah, no, I enjoyed it. Saturday night, that was yeah. And it had one of those great big old ITV studios, didn't it? With a look like shiny ten thousand people there. One hundred and one episodes of You Bet. Yeah. What were the years? Can you from nineteen eighty eight until nineteen ninety seven? That's one I'm surprised they haven't done again. Actually. Yeah. 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 German show. German show. Yeah, that's good. Um, then, because Joel trumped me with chain letters, because of what we were talking about at the beginning of the show, I quickly scribbled down, ready, steady, cook. I don't know, Joel, this is Joel's game. I'm sure that is the kind of game, yeah. Yeah, yeah just because there wasn't a huge financial prize at the end of it. I mean, again, it was a it was a cult programme, about four o'clock, five, something like that. In the, in yeah, the, no, the it was four every day. It yeah, debuted it, on... 24th of October 1994 and the last edition was broadcast on the 2nd of February 2010 Jesus 2010 that went on yeah I thought it was great I mean I I hate cooking and anyone that knows me knows I don't cook but for some reason that programme I don't don't think I've ever watched it I don't think I've ever watched it 
I know, I know what surprises me. Yeah. The man that got given cheese at Easter didn't, doesn't watch <laughs> Ready, Steady, no, Cook. Yeah. Yeah, you're never going to live that down, no, Mr. Country House, eating his cheese at Easter. I know, yeah. It's like, it's like bloody Alex James, isn't he? <laughs> well, I live in a house, a big country house, yeah. Exactly, a big house yeah. in the country. Um, is that five? And he yeah. looks now, was it five? Was that five? Um, I was going to throw in Pets Win Prizes as well. No, just that's another Danny, a, another yeah. Danny Baker. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, what, what, what have I got on my list that hasn't? So I had quick um, Willie's or Draw because I used to watch that. Um, I had Shooting Stars, which was brilliant. It was time. Uh, they think it's all over. Loved that. Uh, yeah, I wrote that, but I, I, I marked it down because Lee Hurst is just a raving lunatic. He is a raving lunatic, but uh, yeah, Rory McGrath, who uh, was on it as well, and obviously Nick Hancock. Um, take Your Pick, which I think we talked about before, but I love to take your pick. Oh, With, yeah. That was Des O'Connor and Yeah, exactly. And he's very young looking. Well, very young, attractive blonde. Yeah, exactly, he's still yeah. with her, though. Is that the he's same one? He can't be. Yeah, Geordie, whatever she was called, yeah. I just Yes, no game as a kid was not the funniest thing you'd ever seen. So I'll definitely take your pick. Um, and then I was to- I'm tossing between the two. So Telly Addicts, which I loved. Yeah. With with Noel Edmonds, because I'm, I'm a bit of a Telly Addict anyway. And then the. Oh, what was the other one I read? Oh, Keynotes. Keynotes was kind of like a weird, it was a musical thing, wasn't it? And you had to Name win the notes and then yeah. get so, It was sort of like that, wasn't it? Yeah, that, was I a, that. that was a daytime TV show as well. Yeah. So, yeah, that's all. Kind of, I had a couple of kids' ones as well for the younger generation. Um, Finders Keepers with Neil Buchanan, which I loved. Um, and, <laughs> and Funhouse, which is kind of a quiz show. Cause it was well, well, I'll give you that, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, hang on a minute. I think there needs to be, for next edition, we do a kids' version then, surely. Well, kids, uh, surely. Were, were there enough kids game shows uh, to get your own back i suppose that was a quiz show um don't know, I don't know. yeah i don't think there was many yeah i don't think there was many kids ones i'm not looking on the top of my head because they weren't oh there was something attached run the risk on the um, yes on going live Peter Simon. yeah yeah uh, Trevor Simon. So, yeah well that's talk football though because that's what we're all actually here to talk about 1990s football live kicking this is unplanned so we don't know what each of us are going to bring to the table which makes it quite exciting um this may not work so we may not do this again but that's that's let's see how we go um see as joe will already throw out a, a, his quiz game there that's matthew your first topic tonight seems this was kind of your um just kind of your idea in in a way so what are you bringing to the table on our first 90s natter well this is another uh, this is partly another idea i've been pitching to you for about a year and you can throw it back <laughs> in the face so <laughs> slightly in a slightly different way maybe once a week but i'm going to start with things from the 90s that you would bring back now this is slightly part of i know you asked this question to guests when they appear on the show on their cv um i think you must have asked me when i first appeared yeah about a couple of years ago but um obviously there's things that we all love about the 90s there's all things there's some, some things we don't like about the 90s but if there's something about the 90s you could bring back what would it be Mm, okay well you obviously got something in mind so while me and joel think about it what what would be your one thing well it sounds stupid but anyone that knows me wouldn't be surprised at that i would bring back different goal nets to <laughs> various stadiums because i'm sick and tired of watching football and every ground i mean every ground looks the same now anyway because thanks to middlesbrough and the riverside stadium but other than that there's just no variety in goal nets. I mean, is it some kind of UEFA FIFA Premier League regulation that every stadium has to have regulation nets? Because, I mean, look back. Do you remember the classic ones at your place, 
uh, the uh, ones at Loftus Road, yeah, sort of very thin, small ones, yeah. thin goal nets. Yeah. Um, and then you had the Dell, you had those very tight goal nets. The Dell is the one I always remember. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Highbury had those ones with the sort of famous green stanchion that would go down and the net just hung down below. You'd you'd have, uh, you know, just you could almost tell every ground from... Um, I mean, I remember at Middlesbrough, you had one goal net was bigger at one end than, than the other end, Joel, because the, it was so tight... Yeah, the goal. at the whole gate end, yeah. Yeah, so one was more shallow than, than the other. So I could sit here and talk for hours about different goal nets. They, used to, be, they could. used to be coloured as well, didn't they? Like teams yeah, would kind have... of colour their, as, as opposed yeah. to whatever their coloured teams. I mean, the ones at Anfield, I'm sure, had red in them at some point. Yeah, yeah, and you had striped. And it wasn't just in England. I mean, you'd yeah. the New Camp. New Camp would have those huge, big square nets through that were about 10 yards deep. And uh, you had the ones in... In Italy, I think it was in, in Napoli where Maradona played there, and they were very sort of shallow nets. And um, I just remember each ground you'd what you'd look and and you'd be able to you'd know exactly where you were and what you're watching just from the goal nets. Whereas now it's everything's all uniform and the same, and it's all thanks to Middlesbrough and the Riverside Stadium, obviously. So I'm just that would be what I would bring back. Yeah, no, I think well we've probably touched on it before, but no, there's definitely one. Um, I would bring back the first thing that came to my mind um, was kits, but I'm going to stay clear of that because it's so ma- it's so niche and so mundane to people that listen to it all the time. So I'm not going to touch on the kits. Ash, have yeah. you seen today? By the way, speaking of kits, mm. um, there's a nice article on the BBC website about all the kits for the Women's World Cup, which yes. are different from the men's. I know about time. Yeah, cause yeah, usually... I think so as well. Yeah, I was sort of. Quietly, they're quite nice designs quite, yeah. as well they're quite nice they're, to have a different England kit for men's and women's is really nice the away one actually really reminds me of the Umbro Cup era England away yeah, kit yeah it's like deep red it's very it's got, yeah it's got lionesses I think it's it, yeah 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 it's very much of that ilk so yeah I'm really pleased so, no good for them and if you look at the letters and numbers on I think it's is it the Swedish kit is that the numbers have got all pictures of women that the team love and admire really so well, not, yeah, so it's it's so stretching from like queens of Sweden to like back Madonna. in the 1600s to like Torbay Law and things like that. So uh-huh. yeah, it's it's um, yeah, it's quite nice. There's a thing on the BBC website. Oh, uh, we'll check that out. Yeah, no, it's good. No, they're very nice. Yeah, the, both the Nike and the Adidas ones have been really 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 nice for the um, the Women's World Cup. So yeah, I'm pleased with that. Um, but I'll stay clear of kits for this subject. I would say something else we always talk about on here, but it instantly came to mind. Play the FA Cup semi-finals at neutral ground, please. <laughs> it yes, just, I agree with that. Not just, I think one of the reasons that really I really think of it is because to me, I can barely think of a semi-final from the last sort of five, ten years because they're all played at Wembley because they all merge into one. I always think it's like Euro 2020. I get why they're doing it because it's a celebration. But I think games and tournaments like that you kind of you kind of associate where they're held. It gives it that kind of flavour. Um, we've talked at length about the 1990 semi-finals that weekend. You know, I remember when West Ham played Nottingham Forest. At, I think it's Upton Park the season after. It, it you just remember those games because they were played at certain grounds, and it just it takes away the fun of going to Wembley for the final. I get it. I get it for smaller clubs. There's a, there's a chance to get to Wembley in the semi-final. Yeah, but do you think? I don't think those smaller clubs would want that. No, do I you? don't. I mean, I. If I if I spoke to a if I looked out the window and there was a Tranmere Rovers fan there and I said, Look, you can get to Wembley in the I mean, tra- fair enough, Tranmere have been to Wembley a few times yeah. in the last in the 90s, few years. Yeah. But but um, you know, would they rather get to Wembley in a semi final that they're gonna get beaten against Manchester City, or would they rather get there in a final of a big competition? I mean, I think everyone of a certain age, probably not even of a certain age, would say, 
no, skip the final, the semi-final at Wembley. We'll, we'll, you know, we'll take our chances, and then it means more when we get to the final. I think it's patronising in a way. It makes more of an occasion yeah, for of course it does. everyone, I think, because then it's two special days. You, you get to go to a different ground, whether that's Old Trafford or Hillsborough or you know, wherever it, yeah. where, Villa Park, wherever it might be. Um, and then you get to go to Wembley. So they're both occasions in their own right, and I think they have their own sort of specialness, which has been diluted. You know, winning a quarterfinal gets you to Wembley. And that is it doesn't sound it, right. It doesn't even sound uh, right. And, and, and these days you've got more choice of... I mean, you know, in the 80s, well, I say sort of early mid-90s, you could probably argue that there weren't the stadiums that could uh, could hold a big semi-final because obviously, I suppose United was the only big 50, 60 plus thousand stadium. But now you've got, I mean, Liverpool holds 50-odd thousand, uh, City holds 50-odd thousand, you've got the two, you've got Tottenham and Arsenal were holding, the, you know, 60-something thousand. So it's not like Wembley's the only option now. I mean, with the, all these new stadiums that have been built, there's more plenty of opportunity to, and you've got, Millennium Stadium in Cardiff, which yeah. everyone you speak to says they love going to, sitting there. That you know, why not? You why not play it there? I mean, I know why why they don't, but there's no excuse. It's not a logistical thing, or a. Well, I don't even think it's a money thing anymore. They must have. I mean, you used to say they were trying to re- recoup the money from. Well, you said just cost. now. You said all oh, the Euro 2020 thing. Oh, they're, they're moving it around because it's a celebration. Do you think that's the case? I don't. I think they're gerrymandering it so they play about. Six games at Wembley, aren't they? Well, that's, that's why if, that, if that helps them take the semi-finals away, then I'm all for it. But yeah, it, it, yeah, it can't be the fact that they're still making money. What are we now? Nearly 20 years that new Wembley's opened, I think. Well, the, the first one, 20, 2007, wasn't it? That's when it opened, because it was yeah. my sister's um, wedding day for that FA Cup final. <laughs> uh, Were you that, gutted? Well, it was Man United-Chelsea. It was a dire of a game, so no, not, not in, in, in hindsight, no. Um I went to the England game. The first England game that was against Brazil. John Terry scored. I remember that. It was a one-all draw. But yeah, I mean, they must have made their money back now. And I think, and also, it could be argued that these teams, we talk about these lower league teams, they get to go to Wembley in different competitions anyway, and they don't actually get the chances often to go to grounds like Old Trafford, like the new White Hart Lane. You know, so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know they'll take. I mean, if, I'm trying to think of the semi-finalists. Are. I mean, say Millwall. No, it's Watford, yeah. Wolves, and City, Brighton. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, they'll all take a full forty thousand, and that's fair enough. But I bet ninety percent of them would probably say, "I don't go very often. This is just an opportunity yeah. to go." Go to where? And the other, and, and most of them would say, "Yeah, I, I'd quite happily go somewhere different." I just. I just uh, the irony is though, of course, the first ever semi-finals at Wembley were played in the 1990s, and they, are, and they are some of the best ones. But I mean, I, I get why they did. But they got the themselves in a mess, didn't they? The, yeah. the FA, because obviously the Tottenham Arsenal one, you can almost just about excuse the fact that maybe they had to play that one at Wembley. I mean, that's about as close as you you could take it. But then after that, they felt they had to offer it to everybody. I remember yeah. going to watch United Oldham semi-final at Wembley, and it was about fifty thousand there, isn't that? You had Luton Chelsea played a semi final there. It's ridiculous, isn't it, that Manchester United and Oldham went to, had yeah. to go to Wembley. Yeah, but it's, beca- it's because they offered, um, I think Chelsea and we were playing Luton, was it, in the other yeah, one? So yeah. they, they felt they had to offer it to the other teams. But I mean, I know for a fact most people would have gone, no. Because I mean, that, the classic United Oldham semi final was the one at Main Road. Yeah. Everyone that was there would tell you it was. felt they opened a can of worms because they played one there and then there was the Sheffield one where they felt they had to offer it there and then after that they went through a few seasons where they were just playing them all there and then they saw sense in fairness and they um, obviously changed it back and then uh, that was up until 2008 7 
I mean, when did they? When when was it said set in stone at every semi final at Wembley? Whatever they needed the money to recoup from building it, I suppose. But yeah, but that would be my yeah the first instance. And it's not really a nineties thing because um, it obviously happened in the eighties as well. But as you say, it's in the nineties is where they began to phase this semi final out and, and offer it to Wembley. Joe, what would you bring back from the nineties? And you can't say Janino. I'm just going to say for um, just to make just to make Matthew happy. I'm going to say Essen Park <laughs> <laughs> and, and all and all the old stadiums that were falling to bits and crumbling in an absolute bloody mess. It's I saw somebody posted a picture of Essen. Three houses in which I lived, just literally next door to the place. I'll I'll send you it and do it again. But um, out of the old grounds, which which have gone now, which one was your favourite, Matthew? Oh, the ones that have gone. Yeah, that's a good question. That is a good question. That's really because obviously I've got a you know I've got a thing for but, but I mean one of the other things I'm going to talk about with you know we mentioned an old ground in that in Roker Park. Um, you know, there's there's loads. Of, what about the old Burnden Park, Bolton? Yeah, I mean you could Main I could Road, main, you just mentioned Main yeah, Road, Main Road, the, the Dell, the baseball yeah, ground that came to my mind yeah. for some reason. I went there to see QPR Derby many means. It's very because I was going to. My one of my questions was going to be favourite away end of the nineties. I thought it was a bit vague, but you know, there were some great certain grounds. You get some great old allocations there. I think we've spoken before, but something like Bolton, you get a good five or six thousand behind that goal. The Dell, you'd get those three sections behind the goal. It was some. Uh, yeah, I did like the Dell. It was a it was a crappy old little ground, but it was. It's because it had the slanting. Yeah. Yeah. It was just, yeah, the slanting was, terrace. You just knew that it was the Dell, didn't you? It was just um, you know a bit like bit like Kenilworth Road. You see a game there and you know your your old mates Luton, Joe, you know. Um, yeah. You saw a game there, obviously not in the nineties because they weren't a big club in the nineties according to you. But um, no. but um you know, grounds that you could look at and think, Oh yeah, I could tell you exactly who you know, who that is and what happened whereas now I struggle really to know who's who and what's what really. Maybe that's because I'm getting old but You did like that yeah. picture that I posted from the last game at Essen Park the day with New Ash. Yes, I did. Yeah. yeah. Did you see that, Matthew? There's a picture of there's sure a picture of Ayers, of the crowded Essen Park, and I'm there at the front with a big bar across my face, wearing <laughs> a stupid Middlesbrough bucket hat. Uh, I'd been up all night. I was 18 year old. I'd been out all night, and then went to the game. It was the last game at Essen Park the, uh, where we beat Luton Town. They got two one. Um, yeah, and I am looking in some way. <laughs> Somebody said, went, is this you? And I went, oh, yeah, that's definitely me that day, yeah. Oh, it's a great so, picture. Um, yeah, it's a good picture. Um, just, the, just the fact it had two different size goal nets was just brilliant. I mean, how could that, uh, you know... You bloody love went nets. in the whole game. I do. We, we used to go in the boys' end, which was at the other end uh, when in the last season at Essen Park. We used to go there. But I think, you know, I wasn't... It's, we talked to uh, Sid about this, and I said... I remember saying before that one of my, you know... what. If I could bring back that excitement that we had of leaving Essen Park to go to the Riverside, because that was just that was like the brand new dawn and everything. But obviously, he's just had it where they left um, they left Upton Park, which is somewhere that West Ham fans didn't particularly want to leave to go to the London Stadium, and they're still nowhere near kind of where they want to be in that place. No, it's because it's a yeah, it's not it's a soulless soulless stadium. Um, Joel, let's let's go to you then. What are you first? What is your first nineties natter you want us to, to to chat through? Well, I don't know how much we'll get out of this, but yeah, that's right. I don't mind little ones. It's, uh, yeah. it's worth it. I went back and watched. Um, speaking of Roker Park, 
I went and watched Premier Passions, which is all oh, on YouTube. Yes. Uh, goodness me! I mean, there is. I don't know whether you've watched the latest Sunderland escapades on Netflix. I have. Uh, yes. Sunderland till I die. I mean, even in the twenty years between Premier Passions and Sunderland till I die. Oh my God, Sunderland! It's it's all about basically Sunderland leaving uh, Roker Park. They're in. It starts off in Sunderland are in mid-table in the Premier League. And uh, eventually they go down. It's the year, uh, I think it's 96, 97, when they went down with us on the same day. Um, and and it's all about them building the stadium and the results not going well. There's a, a, there's a, a really is a heroic amount of swearing in it. Um, lots of Mo- mostly from Peter Reid. Peter, Peter Reid, yeah. I, I yeah. was with Peter Reid on um, Monday night. All right, yeah. Good... He bottles of red wine. I'm, yeah, I probably wouldn't be far off. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he hasn't changed a lot. He was very, very uh, entertaining, should we say? Bobby Saxton. It's just lots and lots and lots of, of, of swearing, um, but it's really, um, it's really quite an interesting bit. It's filmed in a very nineties fashionable way with lots of sort of wonky Batman camera shots and things. Um, but it's, um, it's really sort of incredible to watch just how it's still very much steeped in the old world of football, where it's. Lots of balding white men in ill-fitting suits talking about the business plans they can do, and 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 there's a bit where they sell um, Sunderland float on the stock exchange, and uh, I think I think the I know that because be... I bought I bought shares in Sunderland. Do you know that? Can you you believe it? Me and a mate of mine, Floody, decided because they were on the brink of getting promoted. So we thought, if we buy Sunderland shares, when they get promoted. They'll, they'll go up. I mean, it's the most stupid thing because obviously no one else would have thought of that. And then they ended up losing that um, playoff final to Charlton and we lost all our money. But, oh. Yeah, so what did you do in the end? Did you keep on to them as an investment? No, I think we we were the we, we dabbled in share dealing in the 90s with any football club that was on the stock market. So we bought shares in Millwall. That was a disaster. We bought share, shares in Leeds. <laughs> that was a disaster. And we would just sell them at a loss and then try someone else. And then... Um, we ended up buying Amstrad shares and thinking, "Oh, this is on. This is a decent uh, investment." And we got we got bored with them, got bored with them, sold them, and then the next day, uh, I think Amstrad got sold off, and they all the share price like doubled in price. So we, uh, needless to say, we didn't bother with that. I think we were using our student loan money to, to sort of invest to invest and, uh, in the stock, yeah, to play the we, stock market. But but we were basically just betting. I mean, we might as well have just gone and put hundred well, quid on something to go up. You'd be better off at the, at the bookies, surely. Yeah, I know. We, we had this sort of romantic view that, um, you know. I remember, because back then, obviously, it wasn't really online. And we, we actually had to go in the bank and have a meeting with the share dealer. And we'd have to tell them what we wanted to buy. And then they would make a phone call. And then they would instruct us that there was a risk. And then we had to fill out these forms. And I mean, now you can just do it online. But uh, then it was, like, you know, I think we even wore a suit and tie and, and went in and made a, day, <laughs> made a day of it. Took a briefcase. But, uh, yeah, we lost everyone we bought shares in. Ended up going horribly wrong. I mean, Leeds. I think we had, Leeds shares went down to about twenty two p at one one stage. But uh, crikey! Yeah. Well, I mean, Peter Reid when Sunderland were doing quite well and the shares went up to about nine pounds a share, he ended up caught, like pocketing three and a half million quid. Yeah, well, I think and he then, spent that. Well, I was going to say he spent that at the bar on Monday night. But it was free drink, so he didn't. But if he had been spending his money on drink, I reckon he would have spent about two million quid on red wine on Monday. <laughs> but, uh, but, but so. It's, but it's so funny because, like, Sunderland are so, in that time, they're so sort of, obviously they were moving to the new stadium and that changes everything. It was the last vestiges of 
the boys in the boardroom, you know, talking about what they're going to do. But it was so sort of old-fashioned, even, you know, and it is 20 years ago now. But it's sort of quite a fascinating watch in, like, in, in, in the, it's a snapshot of history now. Um, and, and, you, and social history as well as football history, I think. There were, there were a few of those done in the 90s, weren't there? There was a brilliant one with Barry Fry and there was yeah. one about... Doncaster Rovers. There's right? a great clip of the Barry Fry one. I think Sid always posts it on Transfer Deadline Day where he's signing someone and it's yeah, the most... Yeah, he signs two... Miguel de Souza that yeah. used to play for... Uh, and it's Wicked the most two-bob negotiations yeah. you've ever Yeah, he just seen. goes back and forth and yeah. then he hits the gavel down on his yeah, desk yeah. and says, Sold to the fat bastard in yeah. the blue blazer! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, Barry Fry. I just wonder whether there's any, any parity there. I mean, do you think they went back to do Sunderland because of that or do you think it was just... I think, they, I, I think there's probably a few things. I think the, the company that made Sunderland Till I Die are Sunderland fans. Yeah. Uh, all of them. Although, also, James Corden is a shareholder in the company. So, there you go. Um, but, um, yeah, I think I, I, I think maybe there's a bit to sort of have a look at it as an extra thing. But, I mean, that's fascinating as well. Um, Sunderland Till I Die. Yeah. But that's all about this. You know, basically, the chief executive seems like sort of quite a reasonable bloke, but he's terminally useless at what he does. And then Chris Coleman comes in, and he's just too nice. So there is there is quite obviously quite a lot of parallels between the two. But um, I mean, have you watched the new Manchester City one on um, Amazon Prime? The Manchester City all I've, or I've, I've only seen a couple of. I went to the um, the press screening of it when it first came out, so they showed the bits there. But I haven't got Amazon mm. Prime, so I haven't got around to seeing the whole series. But it looked for me. I mean, it's, it, it, I, I find out. it all interesting, but it was a little bit too theat- theatrical and not really telling the whole story. I don't know. Yeah, there was things like you know, but they, they do things like they go into um, they go into a cryogenic chamber, uh, Vincent Company, and just like one of the kit men because he doesn't want to go in there on his own. So there's quite some quite funny little bits in it like that. But then if you look back, it is so old school. You know, like. Paul Stewart tries to tell what's meant to be a funny story about Kevin Ball and just falls flat in his face. Uh, Kevin Ball sort of shouting at people for not wearing their right shirt and tie when they come down for dinner the night before. I mean, they're they're not eating dinner like in that Manchester United video (laughs) where they have, you know... The quintessential film you should watch from that era. Picked up by the TV companies at the time, I'll never know. Hmm. Yeah, this was this was on BBC One Premier Passions, which I didn't realise at the time. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. Too. It was on like it was on very late, though. It was on about sort of uh, eleven o'clock midnight. They showed it extremely late. I think possibly because of all the swearing. Yeah, yeah, it have to be with all the swearing. So yeah, no. no. Well, while we're while, while we're talking about uh, documentary, what have you? A bit of a plug, nothing to do with me, but I went to the screening of a new BT Sport document, one of those sort of classic documentaries yeah. that they do. Um, there's one out this weekend on Saturday called Two Tribes, all about Liverpool Emerson in the 80s, and it's called How Football Saved a City, and it's, it's great. It's really good. Not necessarily 90s at all, mostly 80s, but um, just a real, really well put together documentary. A lot of people from the time, a lot of the old players, including Peter Reid, Graham Sharp, Mark Lawrence, and a lot of, a lot of politics around the city at the time and, and the country and, and going to football at the time and the you know the, the risk we all would run basically going to watch football back then but um no it's really good so if you get the chance to see it if you've got bt then uh, i'd definitely recommend it mm. nice plug um since we're talking about yeah. tv that segues nicely into something i was gonna again i this isn't a great discussion point i merely wanted to mention it and it only because we also i think we previewed it on the show because matthew first mentioned it 
Um, and it was a show and a premise that has Partridge written all over it. It was Harry's Heroes. Um, it was on, <laughs> was it last week, last Monday and Tuesday on, on ITV? And I remember when Matthew first mentioned it because you, you knew it through your friend Mark Wright or friend of a friend Mark Wright who was on the show. And I wasn't going to watch it and I literally happened to stop watching whatever I was watching and it started and, I, and it, it drew me in, not just because um, of, of what the story told, but there was a lot of 90s clips on it as well, obviously. So I was very much enjoying some of the, the classic clips they were showing. Um, but it, I, I, I enjoyed the show and it was nice to see all those sort of 90s faces getting together for one, you'd expect one last game against Germany and stuff. But it, it got me thinking just how out of shape they actually were and thinking would, well, I suppose the question I came out of it was, would those players have been the players they were if they were in this era? Because obviously the, the, the style and the culture of what they were in at the time fueled this kind of footballer they were. If that, like someone like Paul Merson and Matt Letissier, I wonder if they would have coped with the strenuous difference in football there is in sort of 2018 as well as the amount of money they were made and we know that the Merson's downfall with the money because it was all out to bear on that second episode as well but I don't know if you guys watched it or what you thought of of, of it and I know, yeah. I know Matthew I thought, it, I thought it was really good because I, I, I'd obviously heard bits of it yeah. talking to Mark right during the summer because I knew he, I'd met him for a you know pint or two or whatever and over the summer and he was very strict on what he was drinking and eating and he was we were discussing the show and when he told me what the um show was about i thought oh that sounds terrible it just sounds like a really awful a tv show but i was pleasantly surprised i thought they did it quite well they sort of i don't know somehow they made more of a story out of it than actually there was there i mean they did the classic sort of tugging at the heartstrings you know the you know the rudder and the Merson yeah. and, and that, but I thought it was quite entertaining. I really didn't think it would be that good. I thought it would just be a bit of a, a bit of a cheap laugh, really. But um, no, I thought it was, I thought it was good. Mm. It actually, made me think a little bit about my um, yeah. lifestyle. I might yeah, me too. Just have a couple of pear yeah. ciders tonight, I think, instead of four. Mm. But um, yeah, I, I mean, in terms of what you're saying, I mean, I think it's like comparing apples and oranges. Yeah. Really, is it? I mean, you just can't really compare. I mean, would they? If, if those players have been playing now, then yeah, they would probably have been just as good if not better but then the defenders they would have been playing against would have probably been better and the pitches and the, the goal nets would have been better uh, well worse in this case but um, no I think it's more I think it's best to sort of take it for what it is really And uh, but it does make you realise how how sort of good it was then I know we talk about it for over 100 episodes but that's what just seeing the clips and seeing the camaraderie between all the players and some, I mean, there were some great, great players. I mean, some questionable ones as well. How Lee, how Lee Hendry snuck onto the show, oh, I have no idea. And he wasn't even. Well, there were a couple of substitutes that didn't yeah. even get mentioned. I, I assume they were just um, asked to, you know, be there just in the case team, Neil, yeah. Neil Ruddock keeled over or something. Yeah, but, um, yeah. but, but no, there's definitely the and and the camaraderie as well. That side of it, I wonder how much of it is there. I mean, I know people that speak to modern players now, and you probably do, you know, interviewing yeah. them on a weekly basis but I mean they don't do a lot from what I hear they go home and they just play on their Xbox yeah. for about 10 hours a day I mean there isn't any kind of drinking culture you know. or even social culture yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah yeah. I mean I don't know whether that's a good thing I mean obviously you can't you don't want to promote drinking for 40 pints a week well maybe you do but you know I do think that the, it must be difficult to get any form of um, sort of team spirit going when that's all sit in a room and play on a on a computer game but you know who I, think that's the same across, 
I don't think that, I think that's the same across all sports. Really, is that um, you, you know it's certainly the case in wrestling that people go out. So you know that used to be very drinking, yeah. druggy, all the rest of it. Now nobody does that, and 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 you know probably the same in in cricket and and sort of every any other sport you can think of. Really, is people uh, they probably had it trained out of them from a young age that they have to be professional and, and protect themselves and to see themselves as a brand at all times and if they go out and get pissed or whatever whereas before it was seen as a badge of honour now it'd be like oh, well, why are you doing that and it might cost you not just that you know but some endorsements or something else down the line mm. yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree but it's, it was good to, it was good to sort of you know, obviously reminisce I mean the whole programme was about reminiscing but um, it just goes to show I think with a lot of it the sort of jovial nature of it it goes to show that, that those kind of friendships are obviously still there and still strong with a lot of ex-players I mean it was part of that it was part of the game and I think they're, they're sort of friends for life isn't it it's all the old cliches of you know being in the trenches with these guys and yeah. you're always going to be friends with them and um, I think that came across in, in the programme I wouldn't be surprised knowing television where well, you, you know Joel but you know they'll, they'll probably find a way of making some about a 15 part series about something oh, very similar they'll do it again I think it'll do, it'll yeah that'll be the next thing yeah, revisited or something like that or it'll be a live version or some, a tour or something it yeah, seems to be what happened something else Something successful on TV, it's basically gives it the green light to... Surely yeah. it'll be a podcast, that seems to be the way yeah. forward, I think, anyway. I also, there's yeah. two little things on the show that we don't need to discuss, but just made me think, I remember when Lee Sharp was on Love Island and he was trying to date Jane Middlesmith, that seems to be forgotten in the ether. Of <laughs> and, and also, David Seaman laughs a lot. Like, he is, like, he just literally laughs at everything. And I wondered if that was just something he did when he was a footballer as well, because that'd been bloody annoying on a football pitch. Um, anyway, that's, um, we've got we've got one more little thing to each talk about. Um, Joel, let's head back to you then. Um, what else would you want to 90 natter about? Well, I don't think we've ever uh, properly, properly, properly talked about fever pitch. Uh, well, um, we're going to do a show on it, but go on, go on then, let's touch on it, yeah. Um, but, because I... There's lots of cases that... Hang you on, know, are we talking the book or the film? Talking the book. The book, okay, yep. Yeah, I know we're going to do the the film. Yeah, that's fine, um, yeah. But it, it, for better or for worse, do you think that that book brought a lot of extra fans into the game? Or was it that combined with, obviously, the Premier League, the cleaning up of the grounds, the, the et cetera, et cetera? I mean, obviously, it, I mean, it sold a million copies, that book, um, within its first... Four years, and that's in the UK alone, and that's absolutely incredible. And it is obviously very honest and heartfelt, but it's also mixed in with the new man culture of, of the time. I was just wondering, sort of, what you thought about that because we have never really. No, it. we suppose we haven't. I it, it probably warrants its own episode, actually. But I mean, it's a very good book. Don't get me wrong; love it. Read it many, many times. Cover, and you don't have to be an Arsenal fan to appreciate the book or even appreciate the film. Um, and I do. I think it's, to me, it's fifty-fifty. I think. Timing-wise, it was brilliantly done in terms of, as you write, the Premier League off the back of 1990 um, as well when football, you know, we all fell in love with the England team again and football became a bit more cool to like. It very much fell into the zeitgeist of what was going on. But at the same time, it's brilliantly written. So I'm not surprised it sold a million copies. I'm a big fan of Nick Hornby and his follow-up books. High Fidelity is one of my favourite books of all time. Um, so I, I do think there's a lot... Where, it, where I question is, it, did it bring in... And more fans, I think it's a little bit condescending to think that no football fan read a book before Fever Pitch even was released. I always think that's a little bit too easy to say. I do think it probably opened up the literal world more to books about football. 
Um, but I always, uh, yeah, I kind of question whether there you go. Oh no! Until Fever Pitch, nobody read a football book. I think that's nonsense. But oh, there was, but I mean, what was there? There was Hunter Davis, the Glory Game, the one that's about Tottenham. There's nothing else that's really enormously cultural, is there? That's no, but I, I, I still be to say that football fans didn't read is, is kind of the always oh, yeah, no, about it is, is ridiculous. But yeah, I guess it opened the door for football books in general. There's the the Italian ninety one that I can't think. I could see the cover. All it, all uh, cry out. Yeah, is it all, all cry out? Yeah, which is a fantastic book as well. Davies. Yeah, Peter Davies, that's it. Which is another book of, which was predecessed Fever Pitch, which I believe was, you know, I, don't, I can't off the top head don't know how successful it was at the time, but was seen as a literary um, success. So, yeah, I, I suppose I'm in the middle of the argument that I, I do believe it did open doors, but at the same time, I'm not sure if it's been over-egged over time because of the changing culture in the 90s. But also, it opened books to people like Dougie and Neddy, is it? Brimston, who did, did all those hooligan books. Yeah. And then, and you, Which yeah, I hate, like, to be fair. Yeah, I hate all those. It's like, oh, wasn't it great? We went through darts in yeah. people's faces and glorified <laughs> it. And it's sort of like, what is that? And they're all the same. Like, it's, there's no kind of interesting narrative apart from we went down there and had a scrap. I mean, I'm not, I haven't read them all, so I could be doing a disservice yeah. to some of them. But, you know, gen- I mean, I'm, that side of things, like Football Factory and all that, I, I have no interest, never have done, think it's all just stupid boys being stupid. Um, mm. But, yeah, I suppose it, that, that's kind of a knock-on effect. I mean, football, it might be more interesting than some autobiographies, I guess, because they can be very mundane. But the hooliganism side of books, no, never been a fan of that. But I'd much rather read or watch Fever Pitch, which for, when we do the film, you can hear how much I love the actual film as well. Sorry to be the guy <laughs> that watches the film rather than reads the book, but I've done both. And uh, yeah, the film's classic as well. What do you think, Matt? Fuel? Uh, I, I think it's a bit of a perfect storm, really, because I mean, I've lost count of how many different things have been credited with changing football. I mean, yeah, exactly. It was, it was started off with the Michael Thomas goal, which <laughs> if you watch the uh, film 89, yeah. you'll say, well, because of that, that happened, and because of that, that happened. I mean, so you've got the Michael Thomas goal, which is, to me is still the greatest thing that ever happened in football, purely because of its the fact it happened when it did. Um, then you've got Italy 90, then you've got the launch of the Premier League, and you've got all these things that people go, oh, if it hadn't been for that, then football. I don't think fever pitch really people that yes. probably um, may have had a we all had mates at school that kind of said they liked football and then when you said oh who do you support or England and you think oh well yeah you don't really <laughs> support you don't like football but I think it sort of gave people like that a reason to go oh uh, you know yeah I do like football I just think it made it more acceptable I don't think yeah. it, the book would have made people suddenly think oh what's this game called football yeah but um, so yeah I mean I don't know if that's an answer or not, but no, I just I think, think it's, it's a good. It's a, I think maybe we're something we should maybe flesh out for another episode and, and really talk about the book because it is as you. It, I've, it's included in you know when I did the book on alive and kicking originally, what spurned this podcast. I obviously I included Fever Pitch. Um, I've got an original copy um, in my loft as well, so it's. Yeah. Oh, have you first edition? Yeah, first edition, yeah. Yeah, well, you were the, you were that kid at school then, were you? Yeah. I was, yeah, I've always been that. It all makes sense. Eating cheese at Easter and exactly. reading books. Yeah. <laughs> I was sitting in the corner eating cheese and reading the book. Robbie Fowler would have, would have waved his, waved his bum at me, I, swear, I would imagine. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, since we start with Matthew, we'll finish with Matthew. So the other thing I was going to... This is quite an easy, fun one, um, and it's kind of it slightly times it, because when I first come up with this was when we were first trying to plan getting all together, which has been a few... Which was last week, and we've been back and forth for, for various reasons, but... Um, yes, get your bingo cards at the ready. It was Roy Wegley's birthday last week. 
um, happy birthday to Roy Wigley, my favourite keeper I play of all time, which gave an excuse not only for me um, on my feed, but on the AK90s feed and the club as well, to post that the Roy Wigley, quintessential Wigley goal, the goal of season from 1991 against Leeds. And what the actual what got me thinking was, it's a goal that whenever I talk about it or, or, or I tweet about it, someone always goes, oh, I've never seen that goal before. And it, and it made me think, oh, how can you not? It's such a great goal. But then, so I suppose my question to you guys is, great goals of the 90s, n- not necessarily from your own club, but probably because that's the one, that's why I hold it so dear, that you know are brilliant, but nobody ever really remembers. And, where it, and people go, oh, God, I haven't seen that goal before. And you go, oh, I must see that goal. Which is what the Wegley goal always seems to be for me. Someone's never seen it before. Every time I post it, so is there goals that stand out to you, Joel? Like from Borough or even outside that you know are brilliant and you always hold in high esteem, but nobody ever seems to know until you show them. If that makes sense. I'm just going to have to check whether uh, John Hendry taking on half of the Millwall team and running about three quarters of the length of the Ayrshire Park pitch was in the 1990s but i think that might be the one i would i would choose is that people people always say it's the uh, it's it's the it's the craziest goal sort of ever seen at the time so i'm just checking now whether that's the one but i mean it is a, it, it's it's the very definition of mazy run yeah uh, <laughs> um won the goal against mill oh yeah so he didn't sign for us until 1990 so john hendry against millwall yeah got the ball deep inside his own half weaved his way through the lines defense before slotting home that's underselling it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, this really is an incredible sort of effort from, um, you know, like I said, but that would be the one I would always think of is uh, John Hendry against Millwall in whenever it was, 19... I might have the date here. Oh, it was uh, 94, 95. I don't think it was then. Oh, yeah, this was it. 1991, 90, yeah. 1990, 91 season. Yeah, so I'm watching it now. John Hendry is just skipping past everybody. And, yeah, that's the one. That's yeah, the one for me. Yeah, no, I haven't. I see exactly. I haven't seen that guy before. I don't really, yeah, really like that. That's very good. The other QPR one I always talk about from the same area is with Danny Dicchio at Molyneux, where he it's a long ball down the pitch. I can't remember who heads it over, but he's just outside the box. He literally takes it in his chest, turns and volleys it, and it dips over the keeper. It's oh, it's an outstanding goal. Absolutely, probably the goal that made him get a transfer to Sampdoria the, at the end of his QPR career, which still baffles me. Uh, Matthew, any? I mean, Man United's a bit harder because we know all the goals, mm. but is, is there a Man United or even a goal that you of that era that you talk about that people don't ever maybe forgotten goals is the term I should be. I'm struggling to find. Yeah, I, I was, as soon as you mentioned it, I started I was sort of racking my brain trying to think of anything. I mean, because I could think of goals that meant a lot to me, but they're always ones that that can easily people, most people remember. I mean, I remember the one that. Um, Mark Hughes scored in injury time against yeah. Oldham in a semi-final funnily enough at Wembley but I mean everyone seems to remember that one um, rightly so I was trying to think of any um, classic Brian McFair goals that I haven't thought of but I mean he's your uh, new pal you've been docking my best mate yeah um, that, I think one that never gets the credit that it should do and it's a bit it's stupid to say so because it's such a great goal but this is going to show me up for how unprepared I am the World Cup was it the Saudi Arabia goal in World uh, Cup? Oh, yeah, yeah, 94. Was it 94? I mean, yeah. for what that goal was and how good it was, it never really gets the airtime on the um, all those sort of talking head shows, does it? I mean, you always get the Maradona goal. You always get the those sort of standard goals that everyone says, oh, was the best best one ever, um, you know, clips of Pelé and whatever. But that, that goal never really seems to get the get the recognition yeah, it deserves but against Belgium and I've, I'm going to have to Google the guy I think it's Al something yep Saeed Al yeah. Awan 
Yeah, I mean, it was. It was. I haven't watched it for that long. Maybe it's not as good as I remember. No, it I is. No, it's one of those. Again, we've all chosen goals here that are mazy runs, weaving through defenders, because that's another one. But he does it at absolute rapid pace um, for that World Cup goal. I mean, yeah. I haven't seen the Hendry one. Wegley does it, but it's all kind of in the style of Wegley was, kind of half paced, drop of the shoulder. This is more pace and going full pelt down the pitch, and the pitch and is for, massive. For, yeah, it's it, was America. World, it was a World Cup, and yeah, it exactly. never really gets. I mean, we could say that you could say the um, Trevor Sinclair goal. I mean, I know we talk about it a lot, but I mean, how many people remember that? Um, I bet Trevor Sinclair know, gets asked about it on a daily basis. Yeah, <laughs> so there's obviously a niche, and I'm sure didn't Chris Waddle score a brilliant goal from? I can't picture him scoring a goal for Bradford that was really good. Oh uh, well, yeah, in the FA Cup. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah was yeah. that? I didn't um, imagine. I, that was about '98, was it? '97, yeah, yeah, something yeah. like that. I can't even remember. Everton, yeah. I think Goodison Park. That was. Yeah, that's that springs to mind. Yeah, but. Um, yeah, it is difficult because, like you say, unless you think of something that nobody else can remember, but then for that reason, you probably can't remember it yourself. So, yeah, I'd probably go. I'd probably go for that. Yeah. If anyone wants to tweet us as well about these constant open themes, because we can go back to them. This is a good thing about unplanned that we can always go back to something. So, if you've got a '90s thing you yeah, want to bring please, back, please do because otherwise, in about three weeks, we're going yeah, to have absolutely run out, nothing we're to talk about. Have things to talk about. Yeah, forgotten goals. Grounds you used to love, TV shows from the 90s, tweeters, because we'll talk about it on, on, on the show for sure. Um, so let's talk about our final final subject of tonight then, Matty. We started with you, so let's finish. What other thing are you bringing to, to natter well, about? similar to my Room 101 beginning, I'm going to end it with a quick fire one. Oh, that's good. I said, said well, it can be quick fire, it depends on your answer. But um, I said, first off, three things you bring back about the 90s. I'm going to end with three things... You hated about the nineties football, and I'm going to start off with face painting. I hated <laughs> that. Did that start in the nineties? Well, I remember going to United in the mid. Well, that was pretty much sort of when they won that first league in '93, and there would be kids and painted faces. And luckily, it seemed to have died off. But um, it's one thing that I would absolutely, if I saw anyone that you don't see it now, thankfully, but. Um, yeah, if, if I could go back in time, I would. Anyone with a painted face at football, I would haul out of the ground and they'd never be seen again. Well, I mean, there was one guy famously, um, you know, immortalised for forever, who um, went to one of the Middlesbrough games <laughs> with his face painted. But unfortunately, he was blacked up, um, and he's he's made the video for Let's Dance somehow. Uh, so yeah, I'll agree with you with that one. Get rid, get rid of anybody who blacks up with football matches. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wasn't thinking that. I was thinking more. That's, that's, a, that's a step too far. Yeah, half, half red, half white. I mean, yeah. when you said was it a thing? Maybe it was. I mean, because bear in mind, going to United in the mid nineties, they were the worst for commercialism. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. You had Fred the Red, and you had God knows how many different kits, and you had singles. I mean, this is why I stuck. What was the? What that's was why the, I started drinking and not going to football in most of the mid mid nineties. What, what, what was the film that Manchester United were pushing recently? I know. I'm going to say recently. It's probably about five years. Oh, ago, it was the Marvel it, film, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, the yeah, yeah, one of the Marvel films. Yeah. And Rooney yeah. did a scene in it and everything, didn't yeah, he? I mean, they're, they're kind of old hat at it now and in fairness they're probably a bit more subtle at it but when they first won that league I mean it was the one thing that kind of took the shine off for me I wished bitterly that they'd won it the season they should have done it in 91-92 because it was just so much more sort of normal as soon as the Premier League came along and then they won that first Premier League and you just had all those awful you know you had the status quo single you had the um you know all the, the Fred the Red, the flags, and it was just it was just awful. And I mean, obviously they've gone on and they've done very well out of it. And 
other clubs have, have sort of cottoned onto it now. And you could say commercially they're, they're absolutely right to do it, but I I hated going to football back then because it just sort of it, they just exploited it for everything they could. And there used to be stalls outside the ground where you could get your face painted with, yeah. um, you know, with the, your favourite player with across your head and then the red half and the white half. Yeah, I'd, I'd like that. Um, so that's my one. I'm genuinely um, struggling to think of something. Other than that, I must admit, that's why I think that Room 101 idea that we had never really took off, because we'd have had to think of three things in, from 90s football that we... I mean, the easy I one... Did, did half and half scarves? That's a definite modern the 1990s. thing. No, that's a modern thing. No, but that's the modern equivalent of face painting, yeah. I think. That's oh, a very... Yeah. That could even been a, a late 2000s thing rather than even an early noughties thing. Yeah. I mean, you used to get them in a big cup ties, maybe, or European games or, you know, uh, testimonials. Sometimes you'd have like a half Celtic, half Liverpool, United or whatever, but not, not to the extent that they are now, I don't think. The only, I mean, the easy answer, and I don't really want to open this because we've started to open that wound already. Already, is hooliganism. Like, I'd take that away from the nineties. Like, I think of the England game in um, Dublin that got ruined because there was trouble, and that. I mean, David Kelly still one nil up. The Ireland fans used to sing to me. Um, so, I mean, there's clearly that element I would take away from nineties football because no one ever wants to see that at a football ground. But this is a fun show, so I don't really want to go down that kind of. I suppose the other thing. I mean, you could argue kick-off times I suppose but I mean we're so used to those now but I mean you think they did begin I suppose in their month starting to, like with Monday Night Football and things like that didn't they it started to change yeah but I still yeah. think Thursday is a weird day for non-European football yeah if it's not Cup Winners Cup or whatever you want to call it now yeah it's it, when you get a Premier League game randomly on a Thursday is or they've been doing cup replays haven't they recently about doing on a Thursday as well it's an it's an odd day but again we're, we're talking about things we hate about modern football rather than the 90s yeah I don't think there's because we're so sentimental and nostalgic yeah. about that era there's i don't think there's a lot of things that um maybe we'll that you could we'll keep it open and maybe things will come to us in future you know when we do three more shows of this and we run out of things to talk about then we can come back to it. <laughs> but yeah tell no. you what we haven't mentioned mentioned dash go on when i was uh, in the pub the other night oh of course yeah go and, on tell your story uh, i was in the adam and eve pub on wells street off oxford street if you know that anybody i was in there and who should walk in but former Harchester United number one, Jamie Parker. <laughs> he was married to Tash Parker. Yeah. I was I was going, that's him, isn't it? And I and sure and my mate was like, I don't know who you mean and we we like got our phones out and was like Googling and he went, Oh yeah, it's definitely him. You <laughs> didn't you didn't go and introduce yourself? No, well I was gonna I text Ash and Ash was like, You should go and get an interview on this. <laughs> But no, it was definitely a but considering the programme hasn't been on for about fifteen years. Jim Alexander his name is. Yeah, well, he was in the Adam and Eve pub on Tuesday afternoon, which, I mean, so was I, so that probably tells you how well our respective careers are going. Are you, are you saying he's ashamed of, of Dream Team? I wouldn't be. I'd, 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 I'd walk around in the jersey if I was still well, here. Well, I went to that play a few months ago. And Ray the, um, Wyatt, yeah. Ray was there. I can't, can't think of his name. His, his proper name would come to me. But I looked at the blurb in the, um, the programme, and it had all his... All these glorious appearances on the West End and TV shows and Holby City and Casualty, not one mention of Green Team. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a shame. Apparently, Jim Alexander, since this is an article from 2017, he said since May of this year, he'd been the head of learning and development at Wild Goose Events. I have no idea what Wild Goose Events is. I would no. I'd hazard a guess it's sort of stag. Sounds like the kind of thing he was drinking in that Yeah, I don't know, but that's so, yeah, not the. Yeah, he's. The random connection I have, well, not really to him, he in Dream Team went out with Tash, 
um, Parker, who uh, real name Angela Saunders, and her sister worked in JD Sports with me at the time, which I, at the at, when, at the time I thought was amazing that her sister was Tash from uh, from Dream Team, which is a story no one cares about but me. But I thought I'd mention. <laughs> um, while, while we talk about Dream Team as well, there's a new podcast that I noticed. I haven't listened to it myself yet, but I will get round to it. That's literally about Dream Team. So check it out. Search it on your um, podcast platform and stuff. But someone has actually started a, a Dream Team podcast. We we've done well, it already, and it's not you. It's not me. I do not have time for another podcast in my life. Um, we did a whole episode on Dream Team um, many moons back. Go back in the archives and check it out. Um, but we, yeah, this one is completely dedicated to Dream Team. I will give it a listen because obviously I'm a big Dream Team fan. Um, it does stretch into the 2000s because it only started in 1998. So we've only done a little bit on it. Um, we obviously had Luis Amor Rodriguez on the show as well. And we've had Sean Hocknell as well. But yeah, um, if, you, if you spot any Dream Team cast members rolling around uh, the drinking establishments near you, do tell us. Um, my wife always gets annoyed because we'll be watching something and someone will pop up and I go, it's bloody blah blah from Dream Team. Uh, usually a soap. And, you know, that's when they, obviously Carla King is the most famous one, which um, Joel's going to get on the show at some point. When he... I think, yeah, I need to send a message about that. Yeah. Linda. But if I sound distracted, and normally I'm not distracted talking about Linda Block by anything, but it's because... Joel's just sent me a, a link to his appearance on Shane. I know, I've got it too. I haven't watched it yet. We'll watch it a, <laughs> is that a ba- like a baseball jersey? It's a black, it's a black, it's a black um, uh, what was it called? Dreddy. Do you remember Dreddy? That was like a, a make. It's a black Dreddy baseball top that actually wasn't mine. It was my friend uh, Natalie. Because yeah, I had to wear something that was, that was, you know, there's all the rules when you go on telly about what you can and can't wear. And I had to wear, wear something um, either without a brand or black. And I didn't have anything that didn't have like champion or Adidas or something emblazoned across the front of it. So, so you um, went on TV wearing a woman's blouse and wearing a woman's top, <laughs> basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And well, on, I'm very skinny. Yeah, well, I'm going to check it out. In a <laughs> on that note, that's um, that's unplan it there and and finish up. Hopefully, everyone's enjoyed that kind of '90s nonsense for an hour or so, which they normally do anyway. Um, if they want to talk more '90s nonsense, Matthew, where can they find you on the Twitter? And you're on Instagram me. now as well. You've joined Instagram. Yeah, I, I, yeah. But that was basically just so I could talk to Brian McClare. No, okay. Just because <laughs> because he was on there, so I yeah, thought well, I could go on there. Yeah. But um, yeah, Instagram. I don't even know what my Instagram same, handle is. Matthew J. Yeah. Christie did the same, didn't he? Yeah. Branded. Is it the same? I don't even know. But if it's if it is, then that's that's brilliant. So you can find me at Matthew J. Christ on Twitter and on Instagram. There you go. Perfect. Yeah. Mr. Mr. Young, where can people bother you on the social? Uh, Joel Baby tweets on Twitter. Gram. Easy. So yeah, that's easy enough, isn't it? That's easy enough. And follow myself at Ash Rose UK on both, but more importantly, follow the show at AK90s on Twitter and AK90s Pod on Instagram. I've been Ash Rose. This has been Alive and Kicking Unplanned. Hopefully you'll join us again for another one next time. But until then, keep it 90s.